Hey, and welcome back to Soap Floor. Very special edition of Soap Floor. We're actually on episode 20. Can you believe it? It's actually 20. If this is your first episode, you're in luck. Listen, <clears throat> I've struggled. I recorded several episodes not realizing that it was recording through the laptop and not the microphone, but it's okay. It's okay because you know what? I have found something I love doing and something I love watching, which is vintage soap operas. So if you're like me, maybe you're new to this, or if you're an OG, you've watched this in real time, you've watched Dallas, you've watched Dynasty, you've watched Falcon Crest and all the things in between in real time. Welcome. We welcome everyone here. But I am as I am especially excited about my newbies and novices because I'm discovering the show like you. And it's so exciting. Thank you for joining me today. I promise you the quality of the shows are going to only get better and better. I mean, you can only get better with time, right? So if you are a newbie, thank you. If you stuck out and you listened to all 20 episodes before this, thank you so much. I wish I could send you a gift card or something. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into this. Original Dallas, episode four. This episode is called The Winds of Vengeance. That's a dope title, right? The Winds of Vengeance. Usually I don't mention the name of the episode within the episode that I record because I like to make up my own. If you're looking at the show notes, you know I go off. I make up my own. But this one, for several reasons, was important to mention. Um, This episode was written by a woman called Camille Marchetta. And if I'm saying your name wrong, I apologize. But she's a beautiful woman, a beautiful writer out of England, which will make sense as the story in the episode progress. Okay, there's a lot to unpack on this episode. So go ahead and grab yourself something to drink. I have my ice water here. Get settled in, get comfortable. If you're driving, obviously don't go off, but I'll get you caught up. Let's jump right into it. Okay, so this episode opens with JR and Ray sneaking out of a motel in Waco. Quick little geography lesson. Dallas is about, I think it's about two hours north of Waco, maybe an hour and a half. Like it's not a crazy trip. Keep that in mind. They're sneaking out of this motel called the Westerner Motel. Why are they doing so? Why are they sneaking out? Well, because they have two women in bed. You don't actually see Ray's lady. He just comes from the adjoining room and he's whispering and they're getting dressed and JR's like, yeah, 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 you know, whatever. They're sneaking out of this hotel, sneaking out after a long night of good old-fashioned debauchery. That's right, y'all. They play the oldest trick in the cheater's handbook. You tell your family, I'm going to, and you insert the city or place wherever you need to go for business. Now, they do take care of business. They actually went down to Waco to sell some cattle or something. But then they went and hooked up with these two girls, Mary Lou and Wanda, and they had a real, real good time, y'all. Now, at some point, either during the escapade or as they were sneaking out, JR drops a business card. And I don't know if he dropped it or if he had left it at some point so that Wanda could wake up, see the, the card and kind of hit him up next time he was in town. Right as JR and Ray leave the motel in their fancy car, this old beat up pickup truck pulls in and two guys jump out and they immediately start like knocking on doors. They snatch one dude out of a motel room. Eventually, they get to the the hotel room that Jr. and Ray had just left. So it turns out that one of the baddies is named Wanda, and she's unhappily married to Mr. Frick, one of the guys snatching people out of rooms. Now, the other guy 
So happens to be Wanda's little brother, Alan. Side note, Mr. Frick, they do say his name eventually, but I forgot. He's actually the guy who plays Dead Ted's lawyer on Dynasty. Yeah, you remember that's Blake's, not Blake, what's his name? What's the cowboy's name? Matthew. See, y'all, Dallas has gotten so good, I forgot the character's name in, in Dynasty. He plays Matthew's friend. Anyway. He's Wanda's husband in this episode. So Wanda's husband and her little brother, Alan, both feel a way about her being out all night doing God knows what with God knows who. After Mr. Frick punches her in the face, she eventually comes up with this story about how she was attacked. And her brother goes to the next room and he snatches up the other baddie, Mary Lou, the one that Ray hooked up with. And she basically, I guess she cooperates the story. The husband looks down, Mr. Frick looks down and he happens to see JR's card. Now, I don't know, this is where I need a little help from anyone who was like alive and doing stuff during this time. This could be a sign of the times, but to me, it's a plot hole or soap tax. So the business card that JR dropped or left, we don't really know, has his home address and information versus the office in Dallas. Now, I just think that's kind of strange. It seems like you would have your business address, especially since you're not doing business out of your house. But I don't know, maybe it's, I just thought about this. Maybe it's because he was selling cattle this time. Not sure. But either way, Mr. Frick and baby brother Alan decide they're going to get in that truck. They're going to go to the ranch and they're going to handle JR. So meanwhile, back at the ranch... (laughs) Everyone's minding their business. Ellie has a headache, so she's laid out in the bed. Um, Pam and Sue Ellen are just chilling. It's morning, so they're not really doing much. Bobby calls and he tells Pam that there's a hurricane in Houston, but the windstorm and the winds from said hurricane are headed directly towards Dallas. They're going to get hit with a huge windstorm. Winds of vengeance. Okay, y'all, this is where I feel like the, the young lady who wrote the show being from England, maybe she just hadn't been to Texas and didn't really understand. But Dallas is well over 200 miles inland. There's no way. Granted, when a hurricane hits, the whole state might feel it because, you know, it produces storms in other places, but not windstorms. This was a point of the show where I actually had to stop and rewind to make sure I heard that correctly. A hurricane in Dallas? Okay, granted, this is a fictional show, and I knew that I was going to be a little bit harder on it because I grew up in Texas, but this seems like a huge and unnecessary oversight. I mean, it's Texas. It's North Texas at that, which is Tornado Alley. It's much more likely for there to be a tornado. So I was really confused, but then I'm like, you know what, Jet, just fall back, relax, enjoy the show. It's like watching an action film. You know Nobody can do 10 backflips off of a car, but I watch it anyway. I'm just saying, tornado seems a little more likely, but for the sake of a story, I would think probably a hurricane looms around a little longer and you're going to need that time. Like the, the tornado would be over pretty quickly. Anyway, so Bobby wants Pam to call call her. Oh, anyway, Bobby wants Pam to call him if JR and Ray aren't back before the windstorm hits. Meanwhile, JR and Ray are in the car heading from Waco, which if you remember is further south, which means it's closer to Houston. The windstorm should have hit them first, but it didn't. Um, Bobby's in Dallas and the general consensus there is that if you're in the city, you're okay. Like the winds are going to be a little bit rough, but it's going to be a lot more detrimental 
out in the open plains where the where the ranch is. So Ellie's resting because she has a migraine. Lucy gets sent home from school early because of the storm. And she and Pam and Sue Ellen begin hunkering down, basically waiting on the storm to hit or pass. So J.R. and Ray do make it to the ranch without incident, but so do Wanda's husband and her brother, Frick and Alan. <laughs> Sorry, not Frickin'. Frick and Alan. Alan and Frick. You know what? We're going to change Frick's name to Joe, just for the sake of this, because that's getting weird. So Joe and Alan show up to the ranch under the guise of their truck being broken down. They ask to borrow the phone. They call AAA or roadside assistance or whatever. And basically they they tell them, oh, we're going to be here for about three hours because of the hurricane, the hurricane. But their real plan is to basically have their way with the women at the ranch. Now, the whole staff is gone because of the what uh, Lucy says is the Feast of San Antonio. So there's no one else there. Actually, Lucy says the Feast of San Antonio, but I think she meant the Fiesta of San Antonio, which is, I think it celebrates something about the Alamo. I don't really remember. As as far as I can remember, I don't remember that being celebrated a lot, but maybe in bigger cities, I'm assuming San Antonio does something for it, but I've never heard of it. Like as a party situation where people would be off for the day. Basically, the only obstacle for Joe and Alan would be J.R. and Ray. But that's quickly resolved. They play it cool. They sit back. They have lunch. You know, the women are charmed by them. But they're basically just extracting information like, oh, where is everybody? Who's this? Who's that? They put it together. Joe and Alan do that. JR and Ray were indeed in Waco. No one else is at home. And the entire staff is gone because they're celebrating the Fiesta of San Antonio. So they're worried about anything. Um, they even play it cool. They they have lunch. They help Jr. and Ray with the cattle because of the, the hurricane. But once they get back to the house, they flip it. They put on the bad cop mode and they pull guns out on everybody. Start tying up. They tie up Ray, put him in the kitchen. It goes down. And they're not worried about being caught at this point because as far as they know, everybody who is at home who's supposed to be at home. But unbeknownst to them, Bobby is trying his best to get home. Now, it could be because he's a newlywed, but it's just something about this storm isn't sitting well with him. He's been trying to get home all morning, but Jock is really proud of the way he's handling business and he wants to show him off. Basically, he wants to take Bobby out to dinner with some of his friends and they're just they just kind of plan to stay in Dallas. But Bobby's just like, it's just he's like, no, man, something's wrong. I don't like this. I don't feel right about it. And here's the thing. In this episode, Bobby obviously calls that morning to be like, yo, there's a hurricane. Um, let me know when JR and them get there so y'all are safe. Well, JR, once he gets there, he calls Bobby at the office in Dallas and he's like, yeah, everything's cool. These dudes showed up though. The truck is broken down. They'll be gone a little bit. And then Bobby calls again. And this time Pam answers the phone and she tells him, oh yeah, everything's great. Me and JR are going to play backgammon, which really sends him over the edge. He's like, Jock, I don't care. Listen. I need to get home. I don't care about the wind. I don't care what's going on. So unbeknownst to Joe and Alan, Bobby and Jock are actually en route to the ranch. And thank God they're headed home because it's a full-blown hostage situation at this point, which you think would be the worst part, but there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of different dynamics explored. So there's the obvious revenge slash justice plot between Joe Joe feels like, okay, JR did this to my wife. I'm going to do this to his. There's this kind of underlying sting of betrayal that's not really being acknowledged. 
And then there's a clarity that comes with finally acknowledging the thing that you've been ignoring for quite some time. Now picture this, everybody's in the living room shook. Joe and Alan tie up Ray. So he's tied up in the kitchen. They rough up JR. And by this time, Miss Ellie is acting like a mom. She comes downstairs, but what is all this noise? Unbeknownst to her, her whole family's getting got. So she's put on the couch. So we got Ellie, we've got Lucy, we've got Pam, JR, and Sue Ellen, along with Joe and Alan, all in the living room. Joe and Alan have guns. So in between all the beating and tying up and bossing people around, Joe and Alan figure out that Sue Ellen is actually JR's wife. So the first thing they do is they expose him. They go ahead and let her know where he was and his mom. So this is where we get to, for the first time, you really get to see the Ewing dynamic. The mom tries to lie and say that, no, Ray and JR have been in the house all night. They didn't go anywhere. But uh, Lucy had already told that they were in Waco. So you get to see Sue Ellen hear it from them. She puts it together that these men are there because JR did something to this woman's wife, to this guy's wife. And she gets to look at him and he's just like, oops. That's basically what his face is like, oops. So once they expose him, they start to figure out that, hey, not only is Sue Ellen his wife, but she's a former Miss Texas. So Joe decides he's going to have a lot of fun with that. If I'm going to humiliate you, meaning this is him to, to Jr. I'm going to humiliate you. I'm going to make her parade around in her sash and her bathing suit. So that's what he does. He takes her to JR's house and she has to change. So this poor woman comes out. She's in her bathing suit. She's in her sash and she's got on a trench coat. And they make her, they were like, hey, you know, Miss Texas always has a talent. What was your talent? She told them what it was. And they force her to sing at gunpoint. Now, this was funny not in the moment. Let me be serious first, and then we'll we'll play with it a little bit later. So she's singing this song called People by Barbara Streisand. And I'm going to be real. I didn't know it. I Googled it after the fact. And it's so sad. It's so sad. And it's painful because she's scared. She's heartbroken. She's humiliated. And her husband is just sitting there like a coward. He's just sitting there staring. Well, finally, Pam gets enough. She has enough. And she interjects and she tells Joe, basically, you know good and well your wife runs around. Why are you humiliating her? This isn't going to do anything. The look on Joe's face says it all. He knows that she's telling the truth. And Pam knows this because little brother Alan told her as much when Joe was making Sue Ellen change into her pageant attire. See, Alan thinks that in all likelihood, Wanda was one who came on to JR. She gets around. She's in the streets. But the truth is this rape accusation is the only thing keeping her alive. Like that's his sister and he's rolling with his brother-in-law pretending to avenge her. But the truth is he's willing to take this next step and invade these people's home and possibly rape the women if it means keeping his sister alive. It's a horrible predicament to be in. Horrible. Luckily, it doesn't come to that because Joe is convicted when he actually hears what Pam says. Like the words hit him like a ton of bricks. Wanda chose JR. He didn't force himself on her. She chose him. And ultimately, JR didn't know she was married. She probably didn't know he was. I'm sure they figured it out at some point, but they didn't care. The point is, they chose to do what they did. And humiliating Sue Ellen in order to get back at JR doesn't change anything. 
So right about this time, right about the time he decides not to go through with it, Bobby comes home, he arrives, he starts punching people, he saves the day, yada, yada, yada. As relieving as this might be, it only adds insult to injury for Sue Ellen. Because while all of this is going on, she finally loses her composure. She's in tears. She drops to her knees. She's still in her bathing suit. The sash has been torn off. But even though, you know, the day is saved, she's on all fours trying to catch her breath. She's watching Bobby, Cole, Cock, Alan, and Joe. Uh, Alan and Joe come to their senses and they leave the, the house. She has to watch Bobby comforting Pam. She watches Jock comfort Ellie. She watches Jock and Ellie comfort Lucy. And then there's JR. JR is just looking like helpless and weak. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. You can see how angry she really is. Not just angry, but hurt. You know, you know that saying, there's a thin line between love and hate. You can almost see that. And this is the dopest scene of this whole episode because they don't really say anything. It's just that look. And you can just see fear, I guess, in his eyes and just like, dang, I'm caught. And oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And he's just looking at her, almost pleading with her to go back to that, I admire you. And she's like on her hands and knees. She's trying to catch her breath and she's still kind of sobbing through her tears. She's trying to gain her composure. But as she looks at him, it's just like, it's visceral. It's, I hate you. I hate you. And he, the only thing he does is he reaches out and he tries to put the trench coat over her shoulder and she just kind of pushes it back. She pushes his hand off. And then meanwhile, Ray has managed to, <laughs> Ray has managed to hop on one leg from the kitchen. So he's watching from the door. And keep that in mind. This woman was humiliated in front of her entire family. Everyone's seen her. She's in a bathing suit. Luckily, according to her, and, and in all truth, she looks fantastic, but that doesn't matter at that moment. So what she has to do is she she gets up and she's you can tell she's she's just kind of gathering her composure. She throws her shoulders back, she grabs a coat, and she just she's glaring at JR. She walks past him. And she sees Ray and she just, I guess she remembers he had a little something to do with it too. So she's glaring with him. But it's almost as if she glides out, almost as if nothing happened. But it was, it's just such a dope scene because she, without saying a word, they said so much. There was so much in between them. And I think she's finally comes to terms with reality. Like, you know, she's always wondered. At the beginning of the episode, she asked JR once they came in from Waco, how come he didn't call her? And he's like, oh, I just, I was busy. Well, why didn't you call me this morning? Oh, I was busy. She's brushed off. She's ignored. And she's a former Miss Texas. Let's keep that in mind, which is probably why she had so much poise when she got up. But I think this is a moment where she came to terms with reality. Without a doubt, she knows for sure now what she's always suspected. He doesn't really care for her. He's selfish and worst of all, he did absolutely nothing to save her. It was a fire episode. It was so good. Despite the, the winds of vengeance actually coming from a hurricane, I'll let that go. But <laughs> it was really, really good. A couple of things I thought about after the episode, and I did a little research. With her being a former Miss Texas, 
it has to add even more insult to injury because of how prestigious that title is, especially in Texas. Like it's a kind of a big deal, especially back then. I'm assuming, I'm assuming to be honest, I don't know who the current Miss Texas is, but I'm sure she's fabulous. And I thought I would give you a few facts about the role of Miss Texas. So once you win, before you can even enter the pageant, you have to win a local title. Here's a gotcha gotcha. You don't actually have to be from the city. Let's say you're in college in you're in college in Waco. Maybe you go to Baylor or something. I don't know if Baylor's in Waco. I think it is. If you win Miss Waco, that's cool. You could win Miss Baylor. Or if you go back home, let's say you live in Amarillo, you could win Miss Amarillo. Doesn't matter. You just have to win a local title. So once you win the local title, you can compete for the crown of Miss Texas. And if if you win, you're expected to leave school or your job for a full year. Like it's a full-time job. They give you a manager. Um, some of the more recent Miss Texases got cars. So I'm assuming, even though this is fictional, the roles haven't changed much. You know, you get a car. This is your job. You're basically the face of the state. You go to, you have many, many duties. They could be as mundane as passing out newspapers, pouring coffee at the elderly home, or you could be in a boardroom with CEOs. You could be overseas performing for troops. Like it's it's kind of a big deal. You're, you, you have to put on a face. You're expected to keep up your appearance. You're expected to be groomed and ready to go at all points, camera ready. I think I mentioned you already get a car. So it's a big deal. There's You are very much the face of the program for at least 365 days. You get to keep your crown, but it's considered disrespectful to wear it out in public after you've won. So when you when you put that into context of this particular episode, of course she's going to get up after that. I am Miss Texas. I have worked very hard. I was the most beautiful woman in Texas and this man don't pay me no mind. It's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching, but I have watched a couple episodes after this and I really do think that was her breaking point, but she was like, "You know what? What you're not going to do? What you're not going to do?" Is pretend like you don't know who I am. I am Miss Texas 19, blah, 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 blah. And she strutted out and she did such a good job. But fully enjoyed everything about this episode, even if it was about a hurricane. Look forward to talking to you guys soon where we jump into the next episode. I believe it's a barbecue and I think we're going to have a very special guest. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Be good. And remember to keep all your drama on TV.